turn with me in your Bibles to again to the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing our study in uh, Mark's Gospel, and we are in chapter 8 this morning. We'll be looking at the first 21 verses of uh, Mark chapter 8. As I read, remember this is the holy and inspired word of the living God. Mark 8, verse 1. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them. And he started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples, and came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side, and they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving them orders, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And began, they began to discuss with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of bro full of broken pieces you did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now for your blessing upon our time together in this part of your holy word. And we pray that you would uh, be our teacher as always, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our hearts to receive the message contained therein for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've all seen a baseball game. 
So you've all seen it happen. I've seen it happen all the way from uh, little league to the major leagues. You know, one of the first things that a, a baseball player is taught is that when a fly ball is hit near you or it's hit where you think you can catch it, you are to call for it. That is, you're to let the other players know that you are trying to catch the ball so they will stay out of your way. I've got it. I've got it. Is what the you are to say. Well, every once in a while, the one who calls out, I've got it, doesn't get it. Sometimes the ball will bounce off his glove or it will drop in front of him or he'll collide with another player who didn't hear him call for it. Now, none of those things are what he wants to happen. All those things can be embarrassing. But you know, the same thing happens to us spiritually. We think we've got it many times only to realize that we don't. We think we've grasped some spiritual truth or applied some spiritual lesson only to realize in the end we've uh, dropped the ball and that we really have not learned that lesson. We've not applied that principle. Sometimes we even call out to others, hey, I've got it now. I've got it. I understand it. Only to have that spiritual truth uh, bounce off our glove or fall short in front of us. That's what our text, I think, deals with as Jesus deals with his disciples here in Mark 8. The question for the morning is simply, do you get it? As we worked our way through the Gospel of Mark, sometimes I've taken just a few verses, sometimes I've taken longer sections together. And this morning, as you can tell, dealing with the longer section, 21 verses. And I'm taking this longer section, these really two parts together for a couple of reasons. One is that the miracle described in the first 10 verses, the miracle we know is the feeding of the 4,000. is very similar to the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle we looked at back a couple of weeks ago in Mark chapter 6. No need to go through the details of uh, the miracle, again, because the details are so similar. But also, the next several verses, verses 11 through 21, are really related to what happened in the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. That's where the real lesson of the miracle is shown. And that'll be our focus today. So, what do we find in these verses? First, we do see the miracle that Jesus performed, and we do call it the feeding of the 4,000. Again, it's very similar to the previous miracle of feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus fed, you know, 5,000 men, plus the women, plus the children, whoever was there, we think it may have been 10,000, could have been 15,000, from a little boy's sack lunch of five loaves and two fish. Really, the location and the number of people and the amount of food he used is really the only difference in these miracles. Just a couple of things I want to f- deal with from the miracle itself. And one is the motivation of Jesus in performing this miracle. Uh, Jesus' motivation was his compassion. Look at verse 2, where Jesus said to his disciples, I feel compassion for the people. And we've seen clear expressions of Jesus' compassion already 
in the Gospel of Mark. You remember in chapter 1, Jesus was confronted by a leper. And we're told that Jesus felt compassion for this leper. And his compassion led him to do what was the unthinkable then. That is to reach out, touch the leper, and heal him from his, his disease. Actually, the second time we saw his compassion was in the feeding of the 5,000. Where he saw all these people with nothing to eat, far from home, many of them. And he, the Bible tells us he felt compassion for them. And here he says again, I feel compassion for the people. What is compassion? The, the word in the Greek is the word splonknitsamai. It's impressive, isn't it? But we don't have a very good English translation for that word. It, it really means to be stirred in your inner being. You know, in Jesus' day, it wasn't the heart that was the seat of the emotions. It wasn't the mind. It was your intestines. It was your gut. And, and to have compassion in its way, to be, to be filled with splanganitsamai was kind of to, be, to have your stomach turned by something that you witnessed or something that you saw. And here Jesus is gripped with compassion because he sees the people in such need. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just feeling sorry for someone else in their situation. It's accompanied by a strong desire to help, to ease the pain, or to remove the cause. Always be thankful for the compassion of Jesus. Anytime you're reading through the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the Gospels, and you come across those words where Jesus says, I feel compassion. Pause and you give thanks to God for the compassion of Jesus. You see, it's because of his compassion that you are a believer this morning. It's because of his compassion seeing you as you were lost, separated from him, in need of rescue. In him reaching down to you in his compassion to deal with you, to open your eyes so you can see the truth, your ears so you can hear it as I pray almost every Sunday morning, your heart to be able to receive the truth of the gospel. It's Jesus' a compassion that has drawn you to himself because he saw you in your need. Well, let's take it a step further. Look over with me for a moment to Colossians chapter 3. I've said it before, Colossians 3 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It's a rich chapter. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 says this, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of compassion. You see, one of the distinguishing traits of a believer is that you have a heart of compassion. That your heart of compassion for people 
because of their spiritual needs, because of their physical needs. But again, it isn't just feeling sorry for them, having pity for them, but it's being so filled with compassion for them. You want to do whatever you can to help them. If it's a spiritual need to present the gospel to them, to share a word of scripture with them, to pray for them. If it's a physical need, it is to provide for whatever it is they are lacking. You know, James speaks to that issue. He says, if you see a brother or sister in need of daily food, and you say to them, I sure am sorry. You go in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you don't do anything to help them. What use is that? Compassion is always a feeling of concern. It does something to alleviate the problem that arouses that compassion in the first place. Here Jesus has compassion on these people because he sees them in need of something to eat. But but another thing we see in the miracle itself is that, you know, the disciples were just a little slow. This is the first time I think we see the disciples really just didn't get it. Remember now, this has happened once before. They've been in a very, very similar situation. Faced the dilemma of having this huge crowd of people late in the day, no McDonald's nearby, no Chick-fil-A, no Hardee's, no Subway, no place to get a sandwich. And they need something to eat. And they had seen Jesus deal miraculously with a very similar situation before. And so Jesus comes to them in verse, verses 2 and 3 and says, I feel compassion for the people because they remain with me now for three days, have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. So Jesus comes to his disciples and tells them the problem. It's interesting. In the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples came to Jesus with a problem. Hey, Jesus, we got a problem. We got all these people. It's late in the day. They have nothing to eat. And of course, their solution was send them home so they can get something to eat. Jesus had a different solution. Here, Jesus goes to the disciples and says, hey, we got a problem. But it really wasn't a problem for Jesus at all. I think what he was doing here was seeing how the 12 would respond. Jesus said to them again in verse 3, They have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way, and some have come from a great distance. What an open door, huh? What an open door for the disciples to express great faith. In the power of Jesus. What an opportunity for them to express their faith in his ability to deal with that situation. But what do they say? Verse 4. His disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Now that's some real faith for you. They'd just seen Jesus heal 5,000 people plus. And now they're wondering, where are we going to get bread? The bread of life was right there with them. 
The one who had just fed recently 5,000 plus from a little boy sack lunch was right there with them. But still they asked, what are we going to do? This is a desolate place. There's no place to get enough bread to feed all these people. You know, I, I, I think that Jesus showed more compassion toward the 12 here than he did toward the multitude. I know it's my sinful nature, but I'd have been inclined to grab those disciples by the neck and say, what are you talking about? Haven't you seen me do this before? Where is your faith? Don't you believe I can do that again? But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes through the same routine, have the people sit down in groups and has them pass among the people first with bread and then with fish and they're all fed and there are baskets full of leftovers remaining. The disciples failed to have faith in Jesus. They just didn't get it. What is faith? What is faith? Isn't faith simply trusting Jesus? Saving faith is trusting your soul to Jesus. Saving faith is trusting that if you confess your sins, he'll forgive them. If you ask him to save you, he will. Living by faith is just trusting Jesus. Every moment of every day. It is following Paul's admonition, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, in Matthew 6, he asked the question, why are you anxious? Why are you worried about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear? Don't you get it, he said, basically? Don't you get it? Look at the birds of the air. They don't do anything except fly through the air and God provides for them. Don't you think he'll provide for you also? Oh, you little faith. Again, he said, don't be worried about your life. Don't you get it? Look at the flowers of the field. What a great time of the year to talk about the flowers of the field that are coming into bloom. They don't toil, they don't spin. They don't work. But look how beautiful they are. God made them that way. See, the disciples just didn't get it. But Jesus performed the miracle anyway. He took the, the, few lo the loaf of bread, the few fish, and he fed the multitude. Well, in the second place, that was the miracle itself. Now we see the test that was given to Jesus and the test was given him by the Pharisees. Now, again, we, we saw Jesus a couple of weeks ago up into Tyre and Sidon. He's back around the Sea of Galilee again. He's been on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, area of Decapolis. 
Now they go across the Sea of Galilee again to an area called Dalmanutha. And when he gets off the boat, guess who is waiting on him? It's the Pharisees. And when the Pharisees saw him, they came to him and they asked him for a sign from heaven. I, I call this a test because that's what the Bible calls it. Look at verse 11. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him. Can you imagine the audacity of arguing with the Son of God? Anyway, the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Hey, again, can you, can you imagine a question like this being asked of Jesus at this point in his ministry? A sign? They wanted to see a sign. You, you almost want to ask, what more could Jesus do? The, the Pharisees, you know, had followed Jesus almost everywhere he had been. They'd seen everything Jesus had done. And if they hadn't seen it, they'd certainly heard about it. And yet, after all these miracles they had witnessed Jesus doing, they come to Jesus and ask him for a sign from heaven. Well, I would say the Pharisees didn't get it. We've just seen the disciples didn't get it. Now that we see for sure the Pharisees didn't get it, because after all they had seen Jesus do, they asked for yet another sign to verify who he claimed to be. Prove it. Prove it is basically what they said. Well, notice how Jesus responded. Verse 12. Sighing deeply in his spirit. It's interesting. We saw Jesus sigh uh, last week in, in our message when he uh, healed uh, the man who had been brought to him who was deaf and dumb. And Jesus took this deep sigh before he healed him. This kind of sigh of sympathy. Well, here's, a, I think, a sigh of just complete bewilderment at how badly his message was being misunderstood. And he said to them, why do you seek for a sign? Why does this generation seek for a sign? And he said, basically, no sign, no extra sign is going to be given. If you can't believe that what you see, they don't ask for a special sign from me. See, another sign wasn't the answer. If they haven't believed already, they wouldn't believe if one more sign was given. And so, he and his disciples left again and went back across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we see, third, the mistake of the disciples. Actually, they made two mistakes. One is that when they got in the boat to go back across the Sea of Galilee, they forgot to take enough bread. They only took one loaf. When he describes one loaf, it's probably like a pancake kind of thing. Only had one thing really to feed one person. They got 13 at least in this boat. And there's not enough bread for them. Now, Jesus' mind and the disciples' minds were in two different places. Because Jesus, as they were in the boat going across the sea, is reflecting on this conversation he had with the Pharisees. And he gives his disciples a warning. He said, look, you beware you beware and you watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. You know, 
a little bit of leaven. It was a long way in making bread rise. That little bit impacts the whole lump of dough. And Jesus' warning is here, just a, just a little bit of, of false teaching, just a little bit of error, just a little bit of untruth, just a little bit of unbelief can have a great impact. And so he says, you beware, you watch out for the leaven, for the false teaching of the Pharisees. Well, the disciples, again, didn't get it. They get the point. When Jesus mentioned leaven, their thought process immediately went to bread. And they realized, we didn't bring up bread. Verse 16. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, the Bible says that the Lord is patient. But you know, it also says that his patience runs out. And when you come to verse 17, it seems to me like Jesus' patience has just about run out with the 12. Because he just gives them a series of eight very pointed, very quick questions. Listen to them again, verse 17. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart, having eyes? Do you not see, having ears? Do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. And he asked one more question. Do you not yet understand? Jesus is asking, don't you get it? Don't you understand who I am? And don't you understand that I can meet every need that you have, spiritual need, physical need, I can meet it. Why in the world, why in the world, after I've just fed 4,000 people from a little bit of food, why in the world are you in this boat talking about the fact that you don't have enough bread? Don't you yet understand? I would imagine there was a pretty good hush in the boat after that. You see, these were the men who were the closest to Jesus. These were the 12 he had chosen himself to be his apostles. They had seen the most from Jesus. They had heard the most from Jesus. You see, they weren't just in the starting lineup. They were the all-stars. If there's anyone you would expect to say, I've got it and really have it, it'd be the 12. And yet after all they'd seen, after all they'd experienced, they didn't get it. Jesus says, you don't understand. Well, what can we learn from this particular text? I think three things. One, it tells us to be trustful. You know, it's so easy to know a lot about Jesus, 
and failed to trust him. That's where the disciples were. They knew more about Jesus than anybody. Again, they'd seen Jesus do more than anybody. And yet when push came to shove, when it came right down to it, they couldn't trust him. Two times in this text, they don't trust him. Where in the world in this desolate place are we going to find food to feed all these people? And then, oops, we forgot to bring bread. How do you show that you finally get it? How do you show that you really understand the gospel? It is by trusting Jesus, taking him at his word, believing in him. It also, I think, tells us to be careful. Again, to be careful, to, to, to believe what, what the Lord tells us in his word, to be satisfied with what he's given. You know, it's so easy, isn't it? To think, well, if I just have one more experience, if I can just do one more thing, see God do one more amazing thing, then my faith will be strong. If God will just accomplish this or do that, then I, I, I will know. Look, the Pharisees asked for another sign. Don't be asking for more signs. We got all the signs we need, folks. Got all the evidence we need. We just need to be careful to believe what we got. To trust in what, what God has already told us instead of asking him to prove it some other way. The older I get, the more simple my faith becomes. And I know some of you are thinking, well, your faith ought to be real simple by now. What I mean by that, the older I get, the more I, I just live by the old adage, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Be ter- careful to, to take God at his word and to do what he says. But also I think this passage tells us to be thoughtful. I don't mean thoughtful as we normally think of it in terms of being thoughtful of others. Be thoughtful about your faith. To understand who God is and what God has done and believe in what God can do twice. Don't miss it twice. In this passage, Jesus asked his disciples, do you not yet understand? And it's because they didn't understand. Why didn't they understand? They didn't understand because they hadn't thought about it. They hadn't really considered the impact of what they had seen and what they had experienced, the truth and the reality of what Jesus was and what Jesus had done. If anything should have enabled them to trust Jesus, it would have been those, the, the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And yet here we are in a similar situation. They say, gee whiz, what are we going to do? Where are we going to find enough food? They did not understand the reality of the power of God and the blessing of the Lord Jesus. They just didn't get it. And so again, the question of the morning is, do you, do you get it? Do you really understand? Do you, do you trust Jesus every moment of every day? 
It's a tall order, folks. Trusting Jesus is a tall order. Really trusting him is difficult. Look, folks, I struggle with it. I'm facing one of the major transitions in my life, and I struggle with it. I struggle trusting him with every detail of my life. There's sometimes when I just don't get it, when I just don't really understand. Do you? We need to pray that God would make each one of us people who get it. We need to pray for me that I'd be a guy who gets it. We need to pray for our body, for our church. Tell me the church who gets it, who understands the reality and the implications of the gospel and trust Jesus every moment of every day with every detail of our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again so much for your word. And it's so easy to be hard on the disciples. So easy to say, why didn't they get it? when we don't get it ourselves. Father, I pray you help us to get it, to understand the reality of what it is to believe in Jesus, to trust in him. We ask it in his name. Amen.